I can see clearly now the rain has gone I can see all the obstacles in my way R.I.P. to the homie Johnny Nash and the words public enemies Chuck D. Bring the noise. On the Fifth Home Podcast Network, I am Charlie Taylor, and this is What's Good. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Hope you've all had a good week in the circumstances. Yeah, man. Like Johnny Nash, Eddie Van Halen. Jeez, man, it's been a couple of days. It's been a couple of days for music deaths, but, uh, you know, we're here. Keep on, keeping on, keeping on. I uh, hope you've all had a solid week and a bit. Obviously, it's been a while since I've uh, talked properly. Um, obviously, we had the... Uh, interview with Aura Major last week. Go listen to that if you haven't, and uh, all that, all that, all that. Go support the homie. Um, I finally got my teas. Finally got my green teas. I'm, I'm kitted out for the winter. I am good. Sipping on some mango and lychee right now. It's all good in the hood, and I am raring, raring, and ready to go. But I also have a cold. I don't know if you guys. I don't know if you can hear it. I don't know if you can hear it. It's like it's there. It's it's there. It's not. It's not. It's not like it's not crippling me uh well i say that but my eyes are just constantly on like <laughs> they're just shut down they're just like nah nah they just decide to water for no reason it's like nah 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 your ability to see nah it's cut off it's cut off it's cut off it's, it's, it's end that kill that so yeah so it's it's been it's been it's been a bit of a trek still waiting on that flu shot and I'm 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 saying that as if it'll cure everything, but um, still, I'd rather like <laughs> I'd rather have it now, <laughs> you know, before before uh, everything uh, before the actual cold starts kicking in. You know what I mean? So uh, I don't know, but anyway, it's been okay. It's been a decent week. Getting back into some things, killed off some things, and um, yeah, just uh, trying to you know adjust adjust. I actually have some big news. Um, but uh, I don't want to gas it up quite just yet, so we'll get into that when it initially happens. Uh, I just I, I just want it to happen first before <laughs> before I start gassing it. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I'm just that kind of person. I just I, I I don't really believe it's happened until it's happened, kind of thing. You know what I mean? I just I'm just eternally suspicious of it until it actually goes down. Um, so yeah, we'll we'll see we'll see how that goes. But anyway. We've got a full show, we've got two life, film and TV and the music, and uh, yeah, it's going to be a fun one. Uh, so, formats before we begin, email to IG, Facebook as well, all the links, Discord link, all that, all that, all that is in the full show notes. Go support the people who help make the show possible, which 90% that is me, so support me. And with that said, let the beat drop, and let's get into the show. In a week where Michael Kiwanuka's Kiwanuka wins the 2020 Mercury Prize, which seems, it was only like two weeks ago, but it feels like a fucking age, like, oh jeez, man. Everything's just moving so fast, I feel, it's just, that's, that's kind of the thing, isn't it, where like, if you, if you, when I, when I did the interview last week, I was like, 
I think I think I said on the show, I was just like, I wish I did a full episode as well because so much shit went on. And I can't and you know, I try to keep the inner week weird to five and it's kinda of hard because there's at least like twenty things that happen during the week. <laughs> and uh, and you know, I have to cut that to four to what I wanna talk about for, for fifteen minutes or so and then obviously five just to mention. And I'm just like, I don't know. So uh, I, I just kept that there just because it's cool and uh, you know um, it's his third time, it's his third album, and it's his third uh, nomination in the Mercury Prize. You know, I, st- I still think the um, Love and Hate uh, should have won uh, the year that came, that year that uh, was nominated. Uh, but you know, Kiwanuka is a good album. If you haven't listened to Michael Kiwanuka, please go listen to him. He's a he's an absolutely amazing songwriter, one of the best in the UK for sure. Uh, uni students paid nine k. To live with people they may or may not like, which is, I I can't help but find funny, but also depressing because you know I could have been in that situation very easily. You know, <laughs> I really could have been, man. I, I was I was I was so close to actually like thinking about you know doing a masters. You know, I mean, I was I was generally thinking about that at the start of the year. I was like, I don't I don't know where I'm gonna be at the end of the year. So I was just like maybe do a masters you know what i mean but fucking hell am i am i glad i didn't shit <laughs> fucking hell if that ain't a bullet dodged i don't know what is uh trump got corona yeah that happened trump got corona um i don't know if you guys saw him doing that heavy breathing up top of the fucking staircase jesus christ what a tool my gosh he looks so i think the i think the best joke i saw about that was um it was uh, when when your mother well, well, this this is for a this is for a certain uh, type of mother. Um, when you when your mother tells you to don't even think about crying, but you're just so close to crying, so you just <laughs> you you just do that, you do that stuff. <laughs> you're just holding it by a thread. <laughs> That's literally looked like he was just hot, struggling to breathe. A poor fucker, man. He's such an idiot. Oh my gosh. And then he. I think he dropped a video the other day, yesterday, last night or something, going like, um, just, just, just moving, just moving completely past the, don't, just try not to get it, it was like, it was like, uh, power through it, it didn't even say don't get it, you know what I mean, just didn't even, it just ditched that messaging, scrunched it up and, you know, kobe that in the bin, it was just going like, nope, nope, you got, it's get back to work, if you get it, you get it, power through it, it's like, that's not how... That's not how you should advise to, you know, as a leader of a country to go through to go through an illness. You know what I mean? Just power through it. No, no. Let's just try not to get it first, and then and then we'll think about the, you know, the uh, the the repercussions and all that kind of stuff. Let's just try first not to get it. Let's try that first. Hmm? Yeah, yeah. No, he's just like, he's just he, he's just like get it, get it, power through it, sorted. You know what I mean? It's just. Ugh. It doesn't make sense. It just doesn't make sense. Um, a black criminal... This is great. This is great. This piece of news right here. So a black criminal lawyer uh, creates an app to help people provide alternative independent evidence in the case of things like stop and search. So it's I, I've downloaded the app. It's called Legal Lifelines. And, uh, you know, if, if, you, if, if you are, you know, pri- <laughs> not privy, but if, if you are, um, you know, if you think that's going to happen to you, you know what I mean? If you're if if you if you know what I'm talking about, you know what I'm talking about. If you feel like you know you you're at risk of that kind of thing, um, hit this app, man. Like they so basically how it works. Um, there's an SOS 
uh, button in the middle. And uh, they also have like events and stuff, um, and uh, news and article items uh, for whatever for whatever is you know pertinent to them. Um, obviously, like legal stuff, I assume. Uh, but yeah, if you press the SOS thing, basically it just your your phone automatically records and it sends it up to like a cloud-based system. Um, so you know, regardless if it you know the recording gets cut off, like you know someone just eats your phone in the heat of the moment, whatever you know, whatever happens, whatever can happen. Um, you know, think uh, Bianca uh, Bianca Williams um, from a couple of months ago. Um, you know, if something like that happens, like you can press record, it will be on the cloud, and you know, it could be a complete op- It could be a complete uh, what's the word? Um, uh, combatant to uh, you know the police's body cam, for example. Like their evidence, it's not their evidence. It's completely independent and alternative evidence, so people can use that in your case. I, I find that amazing i think i think that's a master stroke and uh, really should be hyped up more and uh, lastly cineworld will close all of its us uk us uh, uk cinemas well, i think they're actually closing the regal picture house is that is that the name of the one uh, in the us I, I forget but yeah they're, they're closing they're closing and um that actually moves swiftly to uh, my first um, topic of the episode so get my tea in um rishi sunak Rishi Sunak. So, if you don't know Rishi Sunak, Chancellor of the Exchequer, basically the money dude for the whole country, the government, yada yada yada, uh, is in charge of all the, you know, the all the payouts and the budget, you know, every autumn or spring, whenever the, whenever the budget comes through. And um, in an interview with ITV News, he um, had the had the amazing idea. Um, you know, didn't even didn't even look at the fact that you know UK cinemas are dying. Didn't even didn't didn't even take a peep. At, didn't even sneeze at that kind of thing. No, no, no. So this is the same week, ladies and gentlemen. Like Cineworld announced that shit like a couple of days before Rishi Sunak had the idea, the amazing idea to suggest to artists that are struggling at the moment. So you're, you know. Writers, comedians, um, filmmakers, painters, whatever, right? Just artists in the arts in general, you know, actors, whatever, right? All the all the arts under the sun. He decided to suggest um, that the artists um, retrain, um, take up another trade, you know, that kind of stuff, right? Just retrain is the word that people have, you know, really stuck there. Um, uh, uh, glue, glued themselves to that word ref- uh, retrain, which um, I'm calm in. I'm calm in noise, but um, that's only because I've been stewing over this for the past day and a half. Um, simply put, um, go fuck yourself, uh, Rishi Sunak. That's that's first up. I don't think, and, and this kind of, um, and I kind of want to move out of that and move the conversation forward right quick because um the reason why this is so idiotic um you know you could talk about it in in the terms of money you know which is what he's about obviously he has to think about in terms of money you know the arts in the uk bring in over five billion every year right so just let's just let's just start with that right so economy wise it's feet it's 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 needed. It's a necessary. Um, it's a necessary trade. Let's say that, right? It's it's highly necessary. 
And that's not even getting into the cultural element. So I want to ask you guys a couple of questions and, you know, just just answer in your head. Of course, because you're not exactly going to answer to me. <laughs> yes, I'll answer to, yes, a podcast. Um, when you're in uh, lockdown, um, like, you know, during lockdown, what were you doing? Just, just, just think about what you, what were you doing? Like, you know, on the on the day to day basis, like during lockdown. You know, obviously, obviously, you can eliminate working from home. Let's just eliminate that for the moment, right? Let's just take that out, out the out of the equation, right? So you've done. Let's just say you've done your work, wherever, right? Wherever work is, you've working from home, job done, right? What do you do afterwards? What do you do in the rest of your day? To just to just go about your day. What 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 do you do? Maybe you uh, I don't know. Maybe you watch TV. Maybe you watch a film. Maybe you um, listen to some music. You know, maybe maybe you do maybe you do some of those things. Maybe you do something a bit more a bit more out there. You know what I mean? Maybe you uh, uh, watch something. A little different. Maybe you, maybe you're watching a a theatre play um, during lockdown, like a pre-recorded one, because you support the, the uh, theatrical arts. Maybe you know what I mean. Maybe you're consuming some art form of some sort, right? Okay. Eliminate that. Kill it. Kill it. No, no TV. No film. No music. No nothing. Kill it. You get none of that. Okay. Now let's think about it. Let's think about it again, in in, in the kind of a, in the kind of different sense, right? So, you know, you're you're not sitting down, right? You're not sitting down for this one. This is, that was obviously before. You you know you want to you, you just finished your work. You're in lockdown. You know you want to kick back and relax, right? You want to kick back and relax. Watch some watch some TV. Watch a film. None of that. Gone. So what do you do in an alternative? I don't know. Maybe maybe you uh, I don't know. Go for a walk. Go for a run. Little jog, you know, quick little jog. You know what I mean? Five, five, ten minutes around the block. You know what I mean? Just, just maybe a couch to five k. What about one of those things, right? Maybe you listen to some music with that, right? Or maybe you listen to a podcast. Maybe, maybe you listen to a podcast, and not mine, right? Obviously, because you know, I I make no money from this. I put no money into this uh, particular, you know, um, from an economical standpoint, I don't put anything into it. Um, well, I personally, I put monetary, <laughs> I put money into this, trust me on that, uh, but I get I get nothing from it, right? That's, that's, that's just, I just want to say for that, like a podcast that is of note, right? And, you know, uh, either drives conversation or, um, you know, uh, make, you know, push it, pushes and pushes and pulls a lot of money. So there's a, you know, money comes in, money comes out kind of thing, you know what I mean, an actual business in terms of podcasting, right, um, not, not little old, not the little engine that could like, like I'm doing right now, right, a, a proper, I don't want to say a proper, but you know, a, 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 a viable business podcast, right, so you listen to one of those, okay, or an audiobook, there you go, another one, an audiobook, you're taking your jog, gone, no music, no audiobook, no podcast. Gone. Gone. So the reason why I'm asking you this, and it's obviously clearly obvious, 
um, to, to this conversation. The arts is one of the most necessary things to our lives. And I have a feeling, a distinct feeling, that the average person, and in this case our friend Rishi Sunak, doesn't know how fucking important all of this shit is. I, I really, we, we really take this shit for granted. Like, seriously. It's actually crazy how much we take this for granted. Retrain? How fucking dare you? Like, like bro, how fucking dare you? You have some nerve. So, you think you, you, think you can give a little stimulus package that is uh, one-fifth of what the arts give to the UK in the economy. And you think that's fine. And then you come back to us saying, maybe you guys should retrain. Are you on fucking crack? You have some absolute nerve, my guy. You have some real fucking nerve. Honestly. And, you know, y- y- you say that, right? I don't really understand why, 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 I don't even understand, this is, this is the thing, I don't understand why the government even says dumb shit like this, like a friend told me yesterday, right, um, and I didn't see this, so I'm, t- I'm taking her word for it, um, but she said to me that, um, Boris said, like, uh, w- w- social distancing is going to end o- October next year, why would you say that, like, why in your right mind would you say that, because now you're just setting yourself up for a complete L, You've just given yourself a free L. Because clearly you can't dictate when social distancing ends. The fucking virus itself does. So if you're not killing, if you're not, you know, sorting this out. And, you know, and it speaks for you guys as well. If you aren't individually yourself getting the job done and distancing physically from people and wearing your mask and all that kind of stuff, sanitizing, washing your hands, etc, etc, etc. We are all, all all of us are well rehearsed in this kind of st- in this in this stuff what I'm talking about right you can't dictate that my guy you cannot dictate that but what you can dictate is your fucking decision making and rishi sunak you also have decisions to make here because cineworld is dead amc who owns odin in the uk will probably be next because I didn't go to see, I didn't go to cinema to see Tenet. I, I just didn't. Right? I, I just didn't. That's just me. You know what I mean? I'm not really like, um, you know, I, lo- I love film. But I didn't go. Like many other, like, like a lot of other people. You know what I mean? It is what it is. Y- you can't, you can't say and suggest people should retrain when you don't understand if the arts just disappeared, how much, how crippling life would be. From an economical standpoint, and from a fucking quality of life standpoint, no music, ladies and gentlemen, no, well, let's just say this, right, no new music, okay, no, no, nothing new, nothing new. And, you know, you guys could probably, I'm, I'm sure you guys could live off reruns of Friends, The Office, and just listen to uh, uh, Fleetwood Mac for the rest of your life. Maybe, 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 maybe. But there will come a time where you will want something new. And there will be nothing new. I just wonder like what, what that kind of life would be. <laughs> where like, it's just not even that. And I'm I'm sticking that to I'm obviously being very um I'm being very zoomed in here. Let's zoom out a little. Comedy shows. Shows in general. One person shows. 
plays any theatrical element. You like you like, and you like and you lot like going to that? You like going to West End? Gone. All of that. Comedians on a thread. Only way they can make it TV. I'm not being very glib about that, obviously. Obviously there's more um, uh, options they have toward, uh, towards that, but seriously, and it, and the problem, and the and this is the last thing I'll I'll, I'll say about it, and this is kind of um, low key personal, and I had this conversation with a friend the other day. So people like you know, um, well, name an actor, right? Name an actor, director you like. Well, Christopher Nolan says you just mentioned Tenet, right? He tried his best. Right, he tried his best. He wanted to get ten out. He wanted to be that that film. He wanted to his film to be the thing that you know kickstarted everything. And you know it was a bold move, but unfortunately it failed. <laughs> right? You think you think Christopher Nolan is suffering? No. No, he's not. He's fine. He's completely fine. But it's for, it's the people that are trying to make it right now that are suffering the most. And why I personally get so pissed off about these about statements like this. Because there was already a bottleneck in general. There was already a bottleneck. And just when there was a there was a slither of um the doors starting to open for more people, you know what I mean? For more diverse people, for more diverse um um consortium of people to create what they want to create. Right, barriers being broken down. There was a bottleneck already, and now there's a monetary bottleneck, an even worse one that's that's come into this as a result of you know this Corona stuff, right? And for him to say that, to say to retrain, you're basically telling. You know, I don't, I don't know, an innumerable amount of people, like myself, to kill off whatever you've been doing for the past however many years, all the hours you put into whatever craft, and, you know, don't get this twisted, ladies and gentlemen, regardless if you feel like you want to be in the arts in any fashion, you know, humans in, na- in nature are just creative, creative beings. Like we can all create something, right? You may not consider yourself creative, but you are. All right, you're basically the dude is basically telling us to fundamentally remove a whole part of human. <laughs> I don't want to be poetic, but like a human spirit kind of thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. We're not machines, my guy. We're really not. And that's why everyone loves the Rs. And I'll get into the next uh, topic in, in, a, in a quick second, which actually kind of potentially combats some of that, uh, what I just said. But, um, you know, as a final point, there's a lot, um, there's a lot riding on the next year or so. Like it's it's only just beginning as to what the arts will look like in the future. Some things might have to change. 
cinemas might not exist. That's a genuine possibility now. So for you as the Chancellor of the Exchequer to allow a place like Cineworld to close all their UK cinemas and then a couple of days later have the audacity to go on ITV News and ask and tell artists or suggest to artists that you should retrain and get another trade is actually an indictment on your role in the government. So I hope you sleep easy with no music in your ears. Okay, so we move on to music, an an art form. And uh, this is a a little op-ed I found uh, from one of of my favourite artists um, from the past few years. I haven't haven't really seen him as much. Uh, which is unfortunate. Um, and he actually, <laughs> and he actually references it uh, in the first line. Uh, but this is uh, uh, this is from the Huffington Post. It's called "Brits Still Have to Learn to Appreciate Black People as Much as Their Music." This is by Kwabena uh, Ajipong, or most uh, by his art name, well, by his uh, pen name Quabs. Um, so let's just jump right in. Forgive me. This isn't me dropping a single <laughs> or announcing a new album. Instead, what has pulled me out from my creative bunker is the call to arms, that is the movement for black lives, that has spurred an overwhelming desire for a conversation about black history in the UK. Events such as forcible removal of Edward Colston's statue from Brit- Bristol's town centre, and the ongoing debate about the African artefacts being kept in the British uh, being kept in the British Museum, have challenged Britain about where it stands, uh, where it really stands on blackness. As a singer-songwriter, what came to mind during this period of introspection, uh, perhaps selfishly, was the history of black British music. I suddenly wondered uh, whether my knowledge of my expert uh, subject was missing as many entries about black British history as my formal uh, formal history education did at school. What was black British music history? Where was it? And why can I recall more about the contributions of black Brits to our culture? My memory crassly told me that they didn't exist before Windrush, that they were simply absent from all innovation and creativity until the Second World War. That's what living, that's what's, that's what living in Britain has, uh, had seemingly taught me. But of course, I knew that couldn't be true. When you dig a little deeper, you see there is plenty of black musical heritage to be found here. It stretches as far back as the early 16th century when John Blank, or John Blanky, I'm not really sure how to say it, um, it has an E at the end, so, um, an African trumpeter played for Henry VIII. I think I talked about it on the show way back. I think I did. I, me- I remember there was a, I remember there's a Guardian article about Tudors that, I, that I've saved somewhere. Well, on the Guardian app, of course. Um, it includes classical violinist, uh, George Bridgetower, who lived much of his life in England and was all, by all accounts, including Beethoven's, uh, a highly accomplished player. During the Victorian era, Holborn-born composer Samuel Coleridge-Taylor uh, achieved great success in Britain and overseas. And in the 20th century, jazz musicians Louis Armstrong and Duke Ellington visited and performed here, long before the introduction of the Windrush generation and the Calypso music that came with it. Black people's place in the musical landscape of this country runs longer and deeper than can be explained in my brief introduction, and yet it is missing from my knowledge of Britain seemingly hidden beneath a general British desire to avoid dwelling too long 
on the past history that may quote-unquote embarrass us. But this history is embarrassing, it's enlightening. This is history we should dwell, uh, we should dwell on. Few of us uh, could have pictured black musicians living in Victorian London. Fewer, could, uh, fewer still could imagine that those musicians were contemporaries of national quote-unquote institutions, such as Edward Elgar, composer of Pomp and Circumstance, or as most people know it, Land of Hope and Glory. This fuller, more accurate picture is more, much more interesting to me. But here we are, stuck toting a version of history that doesn't pay black musicians their full dues, while keeping the achievements of their non-black peers permanently visible. This gap in our education about black British creativity represents a problem uh, with how we think of our culture. It pervades and inhibits our ability to accept the UK culture as the sum of several diverse parts from distinct perspectives. And it lets us slide into a tendency to see black contributions as secondary outside influences rather than being valuable and canon in the long history of our nation. Nowadays, evidence of this is written all over our, all over our responses to black artistic expression. Stormzy and Dave's real world performances uh, garners hundreds of complaints to Ofcom this year. Uh, I forgot that happened this year, you know, that's crazy. It actually happened this year, fucking hell. <laughs> Many citing that their lyrics challenging the political establishment and bringing light to anti-black marginalisation constituted racism on their part. It doesn't make sense that two of the most successful and credible artists in the country will suddenly become the objects of such targeted negativity, unless, perhaps, that pervasive perception of black people as outsiders is at play, making their critiques of Britain harder uh, to hear than when they come from their non-black peers. Think Plan B and his song Ill Manners, which is low-key, still a banger. That's, he didn't say that, I said that. <laughs> I, I do think it's a valid still. I actually listened to it like a couple of weeks ago. I was like, God, it still slaps. And the music video is quite good as well. But still, the point is made. <clears throat> uh, this trend continued with reactions to dance group diversities, BLM-inspired piece on Britain's Got Talent, which brought in 24,500 similar complaints. I think that number rose since I actually initially reported it. I think mine was, uh, mine was like 16,000. Fuck me, crazy. Anyway... It's clear that British people enjoy the output and cultural influence of black musicians. It's also true that music has the ability to bring people of all cultures and races to the table as listeners and fans, but still, some of us bristle at the mention of black uh, black people's experiences in that context. So it raises the question, do we love black music more than the people it represents? When I say, quote-unquote, love... I mean the generalised feeling of empathy we have for our fellow person's pain, happiness or anger. The willingness we have to see in, uh, see others win in life. And our ability to see uh, ourselves in others. The erasure of blackness from our memories of history has made that empathy harder to feel. As we all battle with our perceptions of ignorance or being ignored and generally finding ourselves not on the same page. So what do we do with this frustrating discrepancy? The answer is that we push through it. It doesn't matter that doing so is awkward or difficult. We have to actively educate ourselves and talk with our friends about the history behind this music we all love. We must continue to uplift and support the output of black musicians and artists we enjoy, knowing that they may have views that challenge and expand our perception of Britain, and being ready to defend them in the aftermath of criticism for expressing those views. And, and lastly, we should encourage them, and by extension our black peers, to feel that they can speak, to feel they can speak 
about those views freely. Celebrating our shared love of black music may also give rise to important conversations about black people in this Britain. Our history, black history, is British history, now and forever. And black music is a huge part of it. It's popularity reminding us who we're supposed to be, a nation that sees value in people across cultural and racial borders. Music remains eternally capable of binding us through a shared love of its greatness, despite the decisiveness in today's world. But if we really want to access this power of unity, then we must learn to love the people it represents. That was a very well-written piece. That was actually probably one of my favourite pieces I've read this year, actually. That was, that was, very, that was very eloquent. Um, and here comes me bulldozing all over it. <laughs> um, I mean, answering the question, clearly not. Um, clear, clearly, you know, there's an... What is that? What was the uh, what was the thing I talked about a while back? Um, well, I, I can mention when um, I, I can mention when uh, Kendrick, you know, uh, did that concert and that white and that brought up a white girl to do. I think it was Money Trees. Don't don't know if it matters what track it was, but um, you know, she said the N word on stage, and you know, obviously Kendrick just went hold up, stop everything. What what the fuck's wrong with you? You know what I mean? It's just there's the, and 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 this is and this is a and actually I just thought of it an even closer answer uh, or an even more recent example uh, when I talked about DJ Academics um, and his fanboys you know uh, a few a f- about a month or so ago right I am aware I am fully aware that there are a plenty of uh, white people that absolutely love black British music drill hip hop rap grime doesn't matter doesn't matter what it is they fucking love it right Dave that's a good example Dave has so many white fans it's actually crazy like that that, and I know uh, the um the the Glastonbury performance with uh, that kid Alex is um you know uh uh, uh music moment oh, da, da. I I I can't I can't help the fact that um you know straight after that um Alex got onto TV shows he got a TV press run without Dave I was just like what that doesn't make sense that doesn't make sense to me like if you're gonna have Alex on have Dave on as well but. No, let's just have Alex on to talk about. Oh, it was great. I, I don't, and you know, I'm not saying that Alex doesn't fully appreciate Dave's music. I don't know, don't know him as personally. But I am very aware of many a white person that loves a black person's music, but don't actually understand what the fuck they're talking about, or more importantly, sympathise. Uh, with whatever pain, trauma, um, whatever they're trying to preach, you know what I mean? Whatever message they're trying to send, uh, just blocks it out. Blocks it out. Just, just just bounces off the ear. Pling! Just falls to the ground. Just, just, just falls to the ground. All they hear is banger. Is it heat? Does it slap? That's, 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 all, that's all they care about. That's what they care about. Um, I don't. I don't think that. Um, 
I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm saying the obvious stuff, to be honest, and uh, here's what it is, but uh, it also harps on to, um, you know, what I've been talking about for the past, you know, few months, or for the past, well, every year, actually, like, education. You know, when you educate someone, they understand more, and because they're human, they can sympathise more. <laughs> That's how it should go. Obviously, it doesn't go that way for some people. Some people, for some people, it takes a longer time, and uh, it takes more extreme measures. But you know, that's that's the that's the that's the basic framework for human feelings. When you are aware of something, when you're educated on something, and you have a deeper knowledge of what that person is talking about, then you are invested in it more, regardless if it affects you or not. And. Um, you know, this is all easily said, and uh, I think Cobbs put it very eloquently um, in the whole in the whole thing. But you know, it is UK Black History Month. I actually totally forgot to say that at the start. I meant to say that at the start. Happy Black History Month, everybody! And uh, you know, it's kind of uh, to to celebrate. I'm actually hopping over on uh, on digging in digits. We're doing a uh, uh, a retrospective on um, five legends of uh, UK black british music and obviously it's a hip-hop uh you know a uh, uh, podcast so we're sticking mainly to hip-hop rap you know i mean just you know bars um in general but um you know we just did an episode of ronnie p and uh he actually hit me hit me up like when i tagged him on it um he actually said can i listen to it and um, i don't know if he's listened to it yet but he said that yesterday and i was, I was totally gassed about it <coughs> and um you know it was, it was great it was great. I even I even showed, uh, told my dad about it, and obviously he's very aware of um, you know people like Rodney P and stuff like that because obviously he, he lived through that age, and um, you know he, he said I'm I'm impressed with your subject knowledge, and I was really like I, I felt proud of myself about that, you know because I put in the time to educate myself on those things, um, and I'd kind of just always wish that other people did the same, you know what I mean. Um, it, it it it's not it's not a chore when you gain something from it and you know what I gain from it personally and this is just a personal it's just turned into a personal testimony on it um, but what I gain from it is um, roots um, you know without uh, and obviously I've I've done the you know the kind of wrong thing and stuck it to just the Windrush generation but that's only partly because it's the music I enjoy. Um, obviously the, the, you know, the reggae music that came by, um, the reggae music that came from their own children, um, that was born in London or wherever, the smiley cultures and that, and that moves on to the Rodney P's of hip hop, and that moves on to the, um, the DJs, the Trevor Nelsons, the Carl Coxes, um, the Jungle, the Garage, the Grime, the UK rap, UK hip hop, the UK jazz scene right now. It's all linked, and that's why I gain from it. I gain, I gain like roots and it all, and how it's all connected. And you know, it's it's a very liberating feeling knowing it's all connected. Um, and regardless of that, I know there's more to it. Um, like Cobb said, there, are, you know, this it, it goes back as far as Tudor times. And um, you know, I I feel like that's a long way away to teach people about. But, you know, regardless of that, actually, saying that, 
if we're teaching classical music in 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 schools, I don't know if they, I don't know if they are or not. I mean, some for some for some elite schools they probably are. You know, throwing some name, throwing some black names, because they exist. They certainly exist, and they deserve to be preserved and taught and passed down and passed on. So we move on to film and TV, and this is all about Mr. Steve McQueen, not that one, the other one, <laughs> the director Steve McQueen. Um, so he's um, dropping, uh, well, he's got a, a, a series called um, Small Axe, and uh, he's starting off with, um, it's basically like a series of, I think it's a series of films, and um, he's signing off with uh, uh, Mangrove, which is uh, about the landmark uh, 1971 trial of the mangrove nine and uh this kind of it, it, i feel i feel like i'm having a sense of deja vu because um i remember i remember i did an episode on the oval four and uh how i didn't and that was at that time they were uh, i think the news the reason for the news was the fact that they got uh exonerated basically after you know 50 years whatever however long it was 40 something years um and you know, just in reading about this about mangrove, you know, it's, it's, I'm having a sense of deja vu because it's literally I've, I've never heard of this until now. <laughs> it's, it's it's kind of crazy to think about. Um, but uh, <clears throat> this is a kind of a, a, a kind of a profile uh, by Landry Bakari uh, of the Guardian. Shout out to him, of course, um, sta- a staple in the show. And uh, yeah, so uh, let's, just, let's just jump right in. And uh, I'm gonna skip a few. Um, skip a few paragraphs here and there because it's a very uh, lengthy profile and obviously I don't really have the entire um I don't have all day to uh, talk about it um but we'll get we'll get we'll get into it and uh, we'll get into it uh, in, into a majority of it to uh, just get to what I want to talk about in the first four films of his career McQueen has taken on slavery say sex edition with shame story of Bobby Sands hunger and the remake of Linda De, uh, Laplante, uh, highest TV series, Widows. Uh, when I catch up with him on the phone, I ask why it's taking him so long to work on a project about the London he grew up in. Uh, quote, things sometimes need distance and time and maturity and understanding, he says. You grapple with your past, you grapple with the things that are so close to you, perhaps more so than things that are seemingly distant. It almost, it's almost under your chin. You need to work it out yourself. Unquote. Mangrove has been in, has been worth the wait. This is McQueen at the peak of his powers, dedicating his undivided attention to a forgotten moment in British history. The adjective British is crucial, McQueen says. Quote, it's essential. You know what's interesting uh, is that it this is important British history. Not just black history or West Indian history. Uh, this is important English-British history. Unquote. Rachenda... Yeah, Rachenda Sandal, who plays uh, Barbara Reese, a former member of the Black uh, British Black Panthers, and one of the Mangrove Nine, goes further, quote, It should be a part of the curriculum. The only way forward is getting a 360-degree view of everyone's history in this country. It has been whitewashed for far too long, unquote. I would love to have learned this in school, holy shit. Anyway, uh, McQueen wasn't very familiar with the Mangrove case until recently. Oh, there you go. Tell me in the comment. There you go. Uh, despite a family connection to one of the nine, his father, Philbert, 
uh, and activist Rodan Gordon uh, grew up together in Grenada and were close friends. McQueen's father uh, was a regular at the Mangrove restaurant and at Gordon's own Notting Hill restaurant, Backyard. But even so, McQueen says the story of the Mangrove case didn't linger. Quote, it was one of those things that once it passed, it passed. People had so much shit to deal with, it was coming at you every day. It wasn't something that you harked back to. Uh, unquote. This was the era of the sus laws. Uh, uh, the, the amount of times I've heard the word sus recently, because of Among Us, and now I'm hearing it in a fucking, <laughs> fucking profile about Steve McQueen. Love it, love it, love it. This was the era of the sus laws, which were disproportionately used against black people and meant police officers could detain anyone they believed had, quote, intent to commit an arrestable offence, unquote. Meanwhile, the 1971 Immigration Act ended the automatic right of the of Commonwealth workers to settle in Britain following the intervention of Enoch Powell, who had been lobbying for a large-scale repatriation scheme for immigrants. The Mangrove Restaurant opened in 1968, Critchlow, a, Trin- a Trinidadian entrepreneur, had already opened one other place in London, the El Rio Cafe, which became notorious as one of the Christine, as one of Christine Keeler and Stephen w- Steph- Stephen or Stephen Stephen Ward's uh, regular hangouts in the aftermath of the Profumo affair. The Mangrove, as Parks's Critchlow um, repeatedly argues in the film, would be different. A restaurant, not a night spot, synonymous with vice. Drugs were banned. Waiters wore white uniforms. It became a key meeting place for London's black community, hosting everyone from intellectuals and activists such as Darkus Howe, Althea Jones, LeQuint, and C.L.R. James, to musicians including Nina Simone, Sammy Davis Jr., Bob Marley, Marvin Gaye, Diana Ross, and Jimi Hendrix. Fuck, that's a list right there, boy. Imagine having that in your restaurant. Routed. Anyway, <laughs> but its popularity made it a target for West London's police, who constantly uh, tried, uh, constantly raided the mangrove, ostensibly to seize drugs that were never found. In the first half of Queen's film, McQueen's film, the tension builds as the heavy mob, a group of officers who patrol the community like a colonial army, harass and assault black people with impunity. The police raided the mangrove 12 times uh, between 19, January 1969 and July 1970, and Critchlow became locked in licensing disputes with the local council. In the film, we see Parks' Critchlow repeatedly pick up the pieces of his life, and witness his transition from restaurateur to reluctant activist. Quote, It's about community and the environment Frank Critchlow created for locals, activists, intellectuals, and artists, unquote. McQueen says of the film, He was a hero even though he didn't set out to be one, unquote. With encouragement from Howe, Jones LeQuint, and the Black British Panthers, Critchlow eventually staged a protest on Sunday, 9th of August, 1970. In a 1970s documentary, Jones LeQuint tells an interviewer that the demonstration actively exploded the myth created by the state that black people are criminals, ponces and prostitutes, and things did explode. More than 700 officers were on hand for the march, including 588 constables, 84 sergeants, 29 inspectors and 4 chief inspectors, according to documents unearthed by historian Paul Field. There were also plainclothes policemen and special branch detectives present, for a protest that drew just 150 West Indians from all over London. Okay, so for seven, so for 150, for just over 150 West Indians from all over London, and just to say, uh, from now on, I'm not, I'm going to try and refrain from saying the word West Indian, um, strictly because it's the Christopher Columbus coin phrase, and I'd rather not uh, coin phrases from Christopher Columbus. Um, 
Caribbeans, let's just say that. Um, 450 of them. 700. <laughs> 700 police officers. Overkill? Overkill? I've, 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 I think we can all agree that's overkill. Um, continuing on. The plan was to protest uh, outside West London police stations, but things descended into chaos on the residential Portnall Road, which the police claimed was entirely the fault of the protesters, because of course it was. Of course it was. Of course it was the protesters. Always the in total, 24 officers were injured and 19 arrests made. It became front-page news with headlines in the Daily Mirror. Oh, God, these Daily Mirror... Uh, oh, God, they actually got the names. 17 police injured in mob attack and the Daily Mail, police hurt by black power mob. Of course, they worded it like that. Typical of a media that parroted the official version of events and played into fears about black militants and immigration. Critchlow, Jones LeCoint and Howe were eventually charged along with Rupert Boyce, Rodan Gordon, Anthony Innes, Barbara Reese, Rothwell Kentish and Godfrey Millet. <laughs> amazing names these are. Like, amazing names. Jones LeCoint? Love it. Um, in 1971, the Mangrove Nine began a 55-day trial at the Old Bailey, accused of, in, in, uh, accused of incitement uh, to riot, affray and in some instances attacking police, police officers. Jones LeCoint and Howe decided to represent themselves, a tactic that allowed them to interrogate the state's witness, in effect putting the entire process on trial. Assisted by defence barrister Ian MacDonald, who represented the rest of the nine, they pulled each loose thread to expose racial bias. The strategy worked, all nine defendants were acquitted of the main charges of the incitement to riot, but what really moved the, need what really moved the needle was Judge Edward Clark's closing comments, quote, What this trial has shown, is that there is clearly evidence of racial hatred on both sides, he told the courtroom. <sighs> uh, uh, fucking hell. It was the first judicial acknowledgement of racism in the Met, three decades before the McPherson inquiry. Uh, in McQueen's hands, this is an electrifying story. Malachi Kirby, plays dark as hell, uh, plays to the gallery that the old Bailey... Quoting Shakespeare and ridiculing the inconsistent police statements. We see Critchlow being manhandled by court officers and in one of Mangrove's most memorable scenes, beating the walls of his cell and shouting about the savages who told him, uh, who hold him in it. Uh, the director and artist's attention to detail is evident throughout, from a lingering shot of a colander spinning on the floor of the Mangrove kitchen after a raid, to a police officer's fingernail burrowing into the witness's witness box as his lies unravel. Uh, Mika Levy's uh, scratchy, bass-heavy score adds another layer of tension and paranoia. And in the between the harassment and the court case, McQueen shows the <sighs> Caribbean community simply enjoying West London life, from street parties to celebrations at the Mangrove. For McQueen, this project is personal. It's the first of a five-film anthology series created for the BBC called Small Acts, which tells stories uh, from London's Caribbean communities from the late 60s to the mid 80s. As well as Mangrove, there's Lovers Rock, which debuted to five star reviews at the New York Film Festival and is based on his auntie's experiences at the ha ha ha, stop saying West Indian house parties in the 70s. Red, White, and Blue starts, uh, stars John Boyega as a pioneering black Met officer Leroy Logan, who joined the force in 1983 and became a superintendent at a time when London's police were condemned as institutionally racist. Education focuses on the uh, notorious so-called schools for the educationally subnormal, uh, seen as a dumping ground for uh, black children in the 70s, while Alex Wheatle 
tells the story of a man who grew up in the care system and went on to win the Guardian uh, Children's Fiction Prize in 2016. Weetle also worked on Small X. When McQueen talks about race, his delivery takes on a staccato quality. Uh, Sentences are often reduced to one or two words. He is abrupt and jarringly honest. In June, McQueen wrote an opinion piece for The Observer about his efforts to make small acts in the UK with a diverse production team, saying he, quote, could not believe the whiteness of the set, and if you want to examine race and class in this country, start by going on a film set. <laughs> God damn, is that not facts? Anyway, um, so I'm going to move on to the last couple of paragraphs, because, um, like I said, it's very lengthy, and I have another topic to get to. Um, these five films are, in McQueen's words, a first port of call. He wants to continue the series and go beyond the capital to tell black British stories from Bristol, Manchester and Liverpool. Quote, There are amazing stories that haven't been told, national stories of the black community in those areas that I want to explore, he says. I'm interested in Liverpool because that was the place where the first, la- the largest uh, black community was in the beginning. It's about these amazing narratives of how black British people succeeded in other parts of the country, unquote. The title of the small axe comes from the Caribbean proverb, If you are the big tree, we are the small axe. Made popular after Bob Marley used it as a lyric on the Wailers' 1973 album Burning, uh, followed by the line, ready to cut you down. It's a defiant statement in the face of terrible odds, and in Mangrove, McQueen has created his own redemption song. So, I'm certainly hype about watching all of this shit, and um, he's kind of, um, I don't know, I don't want to say he's taken my idea, but um, I had like, I had like something... Not 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 towards um, specific Blackberish stories like this, but a an, a, a similar a similar side of it from a different prism. Um, but uh, yeah, man. I'm regardless of that, I'm I'm fucking excited for this shit, man. I'm 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 hella excited, and uh, you know I'm kind of using this as kind of a hype, and also as a mini learning tool because I I mean I didn't know these stories, and it's kind of weird that I didn't. I find it so weird. I, it's not, I don't. I'm surprised. I'm just. I don't know. I'm just. Uh, I guess. I guess there's always a disappointment to these things. Like um, you know, I'm glad that these are being made, right? And I'm glad these. Uh, I'm, I'm glad this is going to take the you know the national stage because these are BBC made. So everyone's going to see this shit. Um, in the same way, everyone saw Noughts and Crosses uh, earlier in the year. I, I just wish I knew it beforehand. Like, I, it's so it's, it's, when you think you know something, or when you think you know anything, there's just like a, a, a ice. It's like an iceberg. You're like you see the iceberg, and you're like, oh, that's big, and then you actually look under, and you're like, oh shit, I know nothing. And it's always sobering, I guess. I, I think that's kind of where I come uh, come off of uh, reading that. I'm just, it, it's just sobering the fact that um, I didn't know these things and. Uh, you know, if you guys didn't too, you know, it's all good, you know, and in the end it's all good, because, um, you know, it's better late than never, you know what I mean, and some people have gone their whole lives not even, re- not even recognising this stuff, you know what I mean, and, uh, you know, so, we're recognising it together, and that's it, and I guess in that case it's more than enough. So lastly, I wanted to get into this uh, f- fun little uh, fun little thing that I found. Uh, so it's called um, Dreading a Dark Winter Lockdown. Think like a Norwegian. Uh, <laughs> this is by David Robson, 
And uh, I kind of just found it interesting because I'm not a fan of winter. I'm I, I just I hate winter. You know, if you got if you guys know me, I mean I said I think I said it the other week because uh, <laughs> if you like winter, you don't you don't deserve nice things. If you, or if you prefer winter over summer, you don't deserve nice things. I I just can't. I I don't find anything great about winter. It's it's cold. It sucks. You you spend all day trying to get warm. And and then you do something, and then you're suddenly cold again. It's just it's just effort. It's so much effort. Um, but anyway, let's just jump right into this because um, I found it just uh, very interesting in terms of uh, uh, just if it, you know if, if maybe maybe a lockdown happens during the winter. Who knows? I think uh, actually it got announced today as I record um, uh, Scotland are going into a uh, sixteen day lockdown. So you know. This shit can happen. It can happen like today or tomorrow or you know next week. It really can. So um, I'm just gonna skip to the mid the the meat of the uh, the meat of the article, and uh, go for here. So what's their secret? Of the many potential explanations, Leibovitz's work suggests that one vital component may be particular uh, mindset that arms uh, that arms the citizens against the stresses of the long polar night. These lessons cannot be more timely. We may not live far north, but many of us in Europe and the US find winter to be the cause of all seasons. And that's without the shadow of global pandemic. Last week, the Observer reported that as we face a daunting prospect of a second lockdown in cold, dark conditions, Brits have been stocking up on patio heaters and fire pits. But consumerism aside, what might we learn from the Norwegian psychological resilience? Leibovitz's findings build on decades of previous research showing that the mental framing of stressful, stressful events can powerfully influence the ways we are affected by them. People who see stressful events as challenges with an opportunity to learn and adapt tend to cope much better than those who focus more on the threatening aspects like the possibility of failure, embarrassment or illness. These differences in mindset not only influence, influence people's mood but also their physiological uh, physiological, I know the word, I'm just being an idiot, uh, responses such as changes in blood pressure and heart rate, heart rate, uh, and how quickly they recover after the event. And the impact can be long-lasting, even during major transitions. One Israeli study found that immigrant stress appraisals can predict how well they adjust to their new country. They also seem to determine how well police officers in Australia cope with stresses to their work. Uh, needless to say, our appraisal of whether an event feels like a threat or an opportunity will depend on our circumstances and our resources to handle these problems, uh, the problems we encounter. But it's, sometimes, uh, but it's sometimes possible to change our appraisal of a situation consciously. In one memorable experiment, Alison Woodbrooks, an associate professor at Harvard Business School, asked participants to face their fears of public speaking. Brooks found that simply asking the, uh, the participants to repeat the phrase, I am excited, helped to reduce their anxious feelings and led to a better overall performance, since it encouraged them to view the situation as a new challenge rather than a threat. Many many psychotherapies, such as cognitive behavioural therapy and acceptance to uh, commitment therapy, have also been found to increase our resilience by helping us to reframe stressful events in more constructive ways. To test whether a difference in outlook can also explain the resilience of Tromso's I've, I'm, I'm saying Tromso, I'm not even know if that's how you say it, uh, residents. Leibovitz uh, designed the Wintertime Mindset Scale, which asked participants to rate how much they agreed or disagreed with a statement such as, There are many things to enjoy about the winter. I love the coziness of the winter months. Winter brings many wonderful seasonal changes, and winter is boring, winter is a limiting time of year, there are many things to dislike about winter. 
Well, guys, which one do you think I rate? <laughs> oh, gosh, that's funny. That just, that just really spoke into me, didn't it? Um, sure enough, she found that participants' answers predicted their well-being over the coming months. The more they saw the winter as an exciting opportunity to enjoy a glacial climate, the better they fared, with high levels of life satisfaction, overall mental health. Amazingly, Leibovitz found that uh, these attitudes actually increase with latitude in the regions where the winters, uh, where the winters, uh, sorry, I've got lost, will be even harsher. People in Svalbard at the uh, 78 degree north had a more positive mindset than the people in Tromso, 69 degree north, who took a more optimistic view than people in Oslo, 60 degree north. In other words, the pe- uh, positive wintertime mindset is the most common where it's needed. Okay, so there's uh, plenty more of the article to go, and um, I'll leave it there, just because so, it obviously gets to pretty much the point I, was, I wanted to talk about. But, um, yeah, man, I, I don't know, man. Like, I, I feel... I, I, I like to think I look at stuff as challenges anyway, so I feel like that side of it I'm completely fine with. I still hate winter. I, feel, I still think winter sucks, right? I, 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 that's just how I feel. It sucks. But I don't really see it as a threat. You know what I mean, I'm not. I'm not really seeing winters like, oh, I'm g- it's going to kill me. It's like, no, it's just, it's, a, it's a, it's a, it's a major inconvenience to a lot of what I want to do. You know, what I mean, it hinders travel. Um, it's, it, um, it, it fucks up your clothes. You know, if it's constantly raining or whatever, or you slip on ice and you crack your fucking coccyx or some shit. You know, what I mean, it's just. You know, there's da- there's more. It's more. It's there's just more annoyances. Like I don't consider them threats, right? Everyone's gonna get a cold. It's just par for the course, right? It's that kind of stuff. You know, what I mean, I'm not. I've I've got heating in my house. I'm privileged in that way. It's fine. You know, what I mean, I'm not. I'm not sweating about finding the next meal, right? I'm not. I'm not seeing life. Uh, a winter as a threat to my life. I guess I see it as a challenge, but. It's just a nuisance to me. It's like a chore. I feel I see winter as a chore. Um, so maybe that's a good middle ground that I like to see. Um, that I like to see in myself. It's not perfect. It's how I do things. Uh, maybe you guys, you know, try and do that. Uh, you know, I am excited kind of uh, hype for yourself, and that's all well and good. You know, do what do what makes you happy, and do what uh, do what gets you through the day, and what helps you sleep at night. But uh, for me, I just see winter as a chore. It's a, it's a chore. It's it's five months of bullshit, and uh, you know I just kind of wish I was a squirrel or a bear, and I could just eat, 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 and then hibernate for uh, hibernate until March. I I genuinely wish I could do that, but we are human, and that's how I end it, ladies and gentlemen, from the Fifth End Podcast Network. I am trying to tell you this been what's good. Intro music has been too much by Vanilla. Interlude music has been visited by Paul Hall. You can find both of their tunes and by the websites in the links in the full show notes below. Thanks to Job Records for the ability to use these songs. You can find their entire Bandcamp discography in the link in the full show notes below. Give that all a clickety click. And with that said, hope you all have a good week. I shall always, always try and do the same. Black History Month celebrations on DI on Digging in Digits. Please go peep that. Please go support us and Mahoe Ben as well. But until next time, on this show in particular, <laughs> take it easy, ladies and gentlemen.